idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Knox Mente. Tonight's guest is Mike Hideous. Mike is an American Gothic rock singer and songwriter from New Jersey. He's a founder and frontman for the of the East Coast Gothic rock band The Empire Hideous, which was active throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s. He has performed with the Bronx Casca Company, Spy Society 99, and the Misfits as a fill-in vocalist from May to July of 1998. Mike, welcome to the show. Good evening. How are you, ladies and gentlemen? It's a great honor to have you here, Mike. (laughs) That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. And you look fantastic, by the way. People can't see you, but we can. So you're looking good, Daddy. (laughs) I guess that's another compliment at age 53. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. (laughs) Trying to to drink from that fountain of youth. You're doing good. You're definitely (laughs) doing good. I don't feel that way. <laughs> so on the bio that we entered, Mike, is there anything you want to add to it? Because we there really wasn't one on your hideous site, and we had to nab that from IMDb. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I mean, for the most part, um, uh, Jerry Jerry got, got pretty much all of it right. Uh, I started my first band, Empire Hideous, in 1988. Uh, I went for 10 years, uh, and in 1998, I got uh, I got hired to be the vocalist for uh, the punk rock band known as the Misfits, which is now world famous. And at the time, um, I was uh, when I was singer a singer for them. I, I did some of the largest uh, festival shows that they had ever done in their career, as well as my career, and uh, that sort of catapulted me uh, with my career. Um, and, uh, uh, so, but I only lasted in the band for about five months. It didn't last very long. Uh, there was a falling out and, uh, long story short, um, right after that, I came out of the band. I wrote a book. I wrote an autobiography called King of an Empire to the Shoes of a Misfit, um, currently sold out, uh, after which I also formed a band called Spy Society 99, um, sort of a punk lounge death rock type of band um and then i i recorded three albums for a band a metal band called the bronx casket company um and then after that uh i did um i started doing empire hideous again and uh I, i basically retired from music in 2008 to uh, continue following my work as an artist and a, and a, and a photographer. Uh, so I focused more on my artwork, my paintings, my sculptures, my drawings, um, as well as my photography. And I was doing that for quite a while. And then just last year, I did um, musically, I, I, I did a, a couple of uh, shows uh, throughout the summer. And um, I was going to do a few this year, but everything's closed. so. That's that. <laughs> and um, so right now I'm basically, uh, I feel like I'm more of an artist slash photographer uh, than, than anything else. Um, but um, interesting, I, I, I just got called yesterday to do vocals for a band uh, that is actually one, a uh, couple guys in Panama, a couple guys in Pennsylvania, uh, another guy in uh, uh, LA. So sort of a world thing. 
<laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. That's going to be exciting. Yeah, I suppose. And, you know, this is the beauty of this world we live in. One of the beauties, there are lots of not beautiful things going on, but that we can do these things remotely. Yeah, except for a person like me who's completely stupid when it comes to working electronics. <laughs> I, I, Jerry had to call me and like, like, like basically guide me through how to get to to this uh, i am just i am so and you know it's gotten so more complicated with the security of everything um you know it's not what it was 10 years ago i i've just never been good at the internet or computers so i'm gonna stick with my artwork and photography you obviously haven't been in a, introduced to two-factor authentication yet uh, what <laughs> <laughs> It's where you have to have an app on your phone, which gives you a second password that's generated on the fly after you enter your first password. I don't even know what that means, but okay. Yeah, it's a pain <laughs> in the ass. In the meanwhile, we have people like Jerry to help us through. I'm always struggling too, Mike, so you're yeah. not alone. <laughs> All right. I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> don't feel bad. And, and we had... Uh, we had a friend of the show, friend of Jerry's for a long time, do a pre-show because he does these uh, 20-year nostalgia loops, and he's a fellow New Jerseyan, C.W. Chanters out there. His real name, I I only know the first one, so, but you've had a few. You've met him. Yeah, you've met him a few times. New Jersey, the scene. And I've I, met him? Yeah. Yeah. His name's Ben, but I can never say his last name. And but he he so did a really great uh, pre-show to this show. He's got his own channel, CW Chanter, and uh, I sent you a link to it. Yeah, okay. his 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 music shows are my thing. I love you know I love his music shows and his twenty-year loops. So he filled us in on all your greatness as well. So oh, that was. Very nice. That was cool with some cool stories about you. And so I got, I got a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> so let's do what we do here at Knox Mente and let's take you way back to the very first memories you can recall in your life. And this, Mike, this includes stuff that's in pop culture too. So maybe cartoons that were there. Um, uh, were you. Uh, movies, things that are way back in your earliest memories. What what sticks out now? So when you ask that question, let me let me uh, find out exactly what you mean. Are you asking me what my first memories were ever as a, like infantry? In, that's not even a word. Uh, coming out of being an infant to being a, a, a boy? I mean, yeah, like just to... like the, yeah. So what we do here is we build, cause we're going to talk dreams and consciousness and all that great stuff. Yeah, like what and, cartoons did you watch when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, like what, what um, pop culture stuff stuck out for you? Movies, cartoons, you, watch, you know, land of the lost with Slee snacks. I did, but uh, <laughs> more, more importantly, I was, uh, and I still am to this day, uh, the classic Bugs Bunny, Merry Melodies, Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, in fact, I, I spent about 30 years collecting them, per se, if you will, off the television. I used to record them on the television and then transfer them to another video uh, cassette, video cassette. Don't, people don't even know what that is anymore. Uh, and then I would build up my, my collection. I had uh, acquired, uh, gosh, uh, probably 
20 video cassettes at six hours a piece uh, full with all types of cartoons from the Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny era. Um, it was very difficult to get the old ones, uh, but that's because they were considered to be too racy for, for uh, people to handle these days. Um, but I did get my hands on quite a few of them, particularly from the 40s, uh, which was the wartime cartoon. So yeah, that was a big thing for me. And I've always been uh, really big on American animation. Um, after, the, after Bugs Bunny, like it, when, once I got into my 20s, uh, The Simpsons, um, Duckman, Angry Beavers, uh, what else? Uh, South Park, The Critic, uh, and so on and so forth. So I would just collect a lot of cartoons. That was, that was my thing, yeah. Did you also, young you, do you have, uh, what were your earliest memories in, in this life coming in? Well, as a young boy, as a child, as an infant, I, I can remember. To this day, I can't. I can't tell you. It, it seemed to me as if it was a dream, but I remember as a very small child. I might have been maybe one or two. Um, I remember my mother. Uh, it was a summer day and my mother had me out in the backyard and I think I had gotten or acquired a fever. And uh, I remember her taking me in through uh, into our house through the basement. And as we walked through, I remember the washing machine and the dryer coming alive. Um, uh, interesting. I always found it interesting when, when children get fevers and the hallucinations that you, you, um, you acquire from them uh so that was sort of i i think that was my earliest memory um i could be wrong but uh that that was pretty much it my mother brought me inside and and i was i was feeling sick and i remember seeing the washing machine and the, and the dryer coming alive so yeah yeah nothing like those uh sick hallucinations <laughs> Oh boy, and I had a couple that. of them. <laughs> How was your relationship with nature, Mike? My, as of, when I was a boy, I always loved animals. Um, and as a, as a, probably a pre-teenager, I had always thought about becoming a veterinarian. Um, that all changed the older I got because I cannot stand to see any animal suffer. I... I'm at a point now where my life persists of um, in the morning or, or, or any time in the morning or afternoon, I'll go out, I'll feed the deer that come to my door, literally come right to my door. Um, squirrels, I've got uh, a family of squirrels that, that live right in the tree next to me. I feed them. Uh, just about a, a month ago, I saved a, a yellow-bellied sapsucker woodpecker from, from the road. It had been hit. Uh, I saved that. I saved turtles. I saved... When I drive down the road where I live in Pennsylvania and it's raining out at night, it takes me an hour to get home because I have to stop every five minutes to jump out of the car and move frogs out of the way. Um, I won't kill anything except mosquitoes and gnats. Anything that bites my bites me and sucks my blood dies. Uh, but other than that, I, I save everything. As a matter of fact, a couple of days ago, uh, I went outside and I was actually collecting fireflies that were caught in webs and saving them by gently cutting off the web 
so that these poor little things could go back to flying. I, I have a very strange life, um, but I, I love <laughs> animals more than you could possibly imagine. Not more than I, and I, I really love hearing this. It, and I love how juxtaposition it is to some of your imagery, you know, this big bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> there you are saving the things in spider webs. Yep. I'm with you on the the ticks and the blood suckers and that way in my life too. The energetic ones, the people, the ticks, the fleas, all that. That's a big deal and symbolically it's a gigantic deal. What uh and then for people that don't know and we may have a guest appearance of your birds. Ah. <laughs> You've got Okay, parents. so uh, all of my animals are rescues. I have three parrots, uh, actually two parrots and one parrotlet. Uh, I have a, an African gray. Uh, her name is Kiki. She's 20 years old. She was neglected, um, and I, I rescued her uh, in November. Um, my other bird is a, a, a blue gold macaw, one of the really big ones. Uh, he's 20. He's now 20. He'll be 26 in September. Uh, I adopted him. It'll be two years in September that I adopted him. Um, both of those birds are pluckers. They pull out their fur. Um, uh, fur. They pull out their feathers. Uh, so that's all because they were neglected uh, from their previous owners. Um, and then the parrotlet, the parrotlet's name is Yoda. Um, they are the smallest parrots in the world. They're actually smaller than parakeets. Um, and uh, she was she wasn't neglected. She was given to me. Uh, by a friend who was trying to uh, raise them uh, and and breed them, and the male ended up getting killed by her dogs. So she gave the female, who I have now, Yoda, and uh, uh, I, I used to have two parallettes. The other one died about two years ago. Um, and then I have uh, I have two snakes that I, I rescued. Uh, one is a, a a ball python. The other one is a corn snake. Uh, and then I have my wonderful, wonderful cats, um, Puma, which is the male, and Little Miss Cricket, who is the female, their brother and sister. They were very, very, very sick when they were born. They had a, a, a disease, which I cannot remember off the top of my head. But had I had they not met the girl who saved their lives, who spent, I believe, four months having them in a, in, a, in a secluded room, going into that room, having to wear a complete toxic removal outfit, the mask, the, the headpiece, the, the gloves, everything, taking care of them and then going back to take care of the other animals at the shelter. If it had not been for this girl, Samantha, these cats would have died. Her undying uh, devotion to, to saving animals is I call her I call her the guardian angel of animals. Um so yeah, cricket and puma, uh they've got a new life. Oh, I love that. I I love all animals and I've I've had several snakes. I used to when I'd belly dance with the snake, that's how I, I, the story is not for the show, but anyway, I love snakes. And but you have a the colubrid, the corn snake, which are, those are my actual favorites because of the colder climate I live in out here in Washington. Uh, they they don't really need the same setup the more tropical ones need and right. the color variation. I also find them so I can geek out on snakes all day. They're so elegant how long and thin they get too. 
I used to have, I used to have eight uh, at one point. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And again, they were all, they were all uh, rescue, so to speak. Uh, Some of them were were given to me, like the the biggest one I had was a a, a five and a half foot uh, black Texas rat snake. Oh Um, God, those are so gorgeous. Oh, it was, but it was so mean when I got it. Rat snakes are nasty. (laughs) Well, I got, I got news for you. I I actually (laughs) trained it to become very docile. And usually when people feed snakes, living creatures, they are, they are somewhat aggressive, if not Mm -hmm. mostly aggressive. Uh, Now, for example, uh, with pythons and, and, and anacondas and boas, they have the pits in the front of their face, which allows them to detect what is prey. And that's how they're, you know, that's how they're, they're brought up to understand what, how to eat. So you have to fool them uh, in order to, to feed them uh, prey that is not live. So what yes. I do is I'll take the, the mouse out of a freezer, thaw it out, heat it up like on a, on a, under a heat lamp. And that makes them think they are getting a live uh, uh, dinner, but in reality, I'm tricking them. And it took it took about a month to train my 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 uh, python, um, but yeah, he no longer he no longer eats uh, live food, and he hasn't since I got him. Probably that's impressive. I did switch over at one point. I had uh, I had a couple rescues to a reticulated python that was her name was Lilith and she was terribly damaged but sweet disposition I had to give her to the herpetological society in Chicago she had too big for me and I could not feed rabbits to her dead or alive I just can't I love rabbits so it was and that was the end of my snake experience Sasha is uh ended up with someone and and lived a very long time so but back to this is great character stuff, by the way, Mike. It just says so much about who you are. And uh, it, animal people are, to me now, one of the ways I gauge who's still human. And there's a har-har with that. But, you know, there's there's something about that. Uh, and so, all right, back again, back when you're early, young, Mike, did you have... So in context to dreaming, did you have any fears at the time? So the thing under the bed, the thing in the closet, the dark woods, <laughs> any of those kinds of things? Uh, as a child, up until the age of 12, when I remember this, actually 11, I'm sorry, up until the age of 11, I had the standard, you know, scary, you know, monster in the closet, monster under the bed. But at age 11... I saw The Exorcist on television, television, mind you, edited, and I saw it for the first time, and it scared the living hell out of me. I had to sleep with the light on for about three or four weeks. Um, I was petrified after I saw that movie, and which is how it affected a lot of people back in the 70s when it came out, I believe in 74. And um, by the time I saw it, which was on TV, it was already, you know, all the scary, scary, scary violent parts per se were taken out and i didn't even see the parts of like you know uh her with the crucifix so on and so forth i didn't even see that um so i saw this turn toned down version on tv and it just scared the living daylights out of me and i I'll, here's where you're gonna laugh even more mr mike hideous i 
could not watch that movie <laughs> until I was about 38. <laughs> I could oh not watch that movie. It scared the hell out of me. It really did. But now I own it on DV and I, 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 I have all the episodes or all the, the movies on DVD and I absolutely love it. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> That is so funny. I know. I love the dark, the dark persona, and here you are, your big teddy bear. Safe to assume you were raised Catholic. I was born and raised Roman Catholic. Yes, I was. Yeah, um, and uh, I, I, I are, are both of you still practicing religion? Do you still? Oh, I wasn't raised any religion. So okay, so I, I was can, a Roman I can... Catholic, but. Yeah. Anymore. Oh, not, this not is anymore. anything goes here, Mike. It, okay. Well, words. I didn't want to offend any. I didn't want you're to offend not, either. I'm one. a witch, so you're not offending me. Being offended oh. is a personal choice, my friend. Okay. Just just checking. Just checking. I want to be respectful. Uh, I'm a Satanist, be. actually. I, yes, I, I know this. <laughs> I I actually uh, uh, I started asking questions about religion in uh, at the age of 13. I went to Sunday school. I got my confirmation my penance, my, uh, and all that other stuff. And, uh, after immediately after grammar school, uh, at age 13 and after uh, getting my confirmation, I never went back to church again because I, I was questioning it constantly. Then my parents sent me off to a Catholic high school and I did miserably. Um, and I failed terribly for two years. I failed um, and I, I just had to get out of there. I, uh, so, you know, you can't even be your own person. You, know, you got to wear the, the clothes, the suit and, and not the suit, the, the tie, the, the shirt and, and the, the slacks. I, that just wasn't me. Uh, but again, you know, my, my parents were Italian. Uh, well, my father's side is Italian. My mother's side is uh, Swiss, German and Dutch. Um, and I, I just had to get away from it. And as time went by over the years, there was a long period of time where I was just sort of atheist uh, and I really had no belief whatsoever. But then in, um, it was 2006 when I began doing research, research on the occult and I was fascinated by the occult and I began reading a lot. And I mean, when I say a lot, I was reading like two or three books at a time. And, uh, for six to seven years, I studied the occult, witchcraft pre-1960s, because after the 60s, you had Wicca, which oh, I yeah. did not study. Yeah, no, yeah. Mm -mm. So I studied black magic. Uh, I studied um, uh, the Goetia. Uh, I studied uh, Enochianism. I studied, and then I got to the part of Satanism. And... So here's here's what freaks people out when they hear that I'm a Satanist. They immediately think, well, you know, this guy is uh, eating babies and sacrificing animals, which is couldn't be further from the truth. Um, uh, but as I read more and more about the Satanic Bible, uh, I began to understand that it to me it made perfect sense. In in fact, it was the best self help book I had ever read. And it teaches you how to be responsible and take action, uh, take responsibility for your own actions. Um, whereas I found a lot of people who are religious tend to say, well, when good things happen, God did that. 
And when bad things happen, like, you know, the virus or uh, the fire that burned down the whole house and killed all the little, little boys and girls, that's, you know, that's the devil's work. And, and I just, I just couldn't understand that, you know, because immediately you're placing blame on something that you can't even prove exists, that it was the cause of something bad. And I just don't, I don't see that. I, I think there is cause and effect. And I think there's a complete, uh, 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 you know, there's all, everything is about accountability. And if you want to succeed in life, you have to be willing to um, uh, be, take responsibility for your own actions. The Satanic Bible from Anton LaVey is a genius piece of work. Absolutely genius. And uh, and people that, you know, I just behoove you, if you have a preconceived notion of it or a knee-jerk response, you it really is something you should read with an open mind and hear what's being said. And it's certainly not about worshiping a deity it's it's you just will be surprised at how logical and sensible and how into inhabiting your experience here and now it is that's right that's That's absolutely right are you a member of the cos no uh don't need to be really no uh, absolutely you know one of the highlights uh, as you as you both uh, are aware i i am a co-host on on a show called the Michael Deacon program. And uh, one of my highlights uh, of having worked with Michael is the ability that I had to interview. um, uh, What's his name? Michael Aquino. Michael, thank you. Michael Aquino, who is, oh my God, the guy is like borderline genius. And if he's not already, Um, and, and he, he, his books are, they're amazing. Um, And uh, so he told me a few things about the original satanic Bible that, um, you know, was written by Dr. Anton LaVey and how they didn't make sense. And once he told me it, like it made total sense on what he was saying to me. Um, and I realized like there were certain things that shouldn't be in that book, but are, um, and, uh, so it, what, what, what really comes down to, uh, if you're going to be a modern Satanist, is that you have to be w- ready and willing to accept the fact that everything can be, to some extent, controlled through your mind. Um, and then there's also the possibility, like, then you also have to consider whether or not you believe in a satanic de- deity, such as Lucifer um, or demonic entities. Um, cause that's always something I ask. Like if you believe in Satanism, does that mean you have to believe in the opposite, uh, such as God or higher power, Jehovah, whatever it may be. And that's really not the case either. The only thing I can explain about modern Satanism to anybody listening is you have to read it and understand it yourself. And it, it, you can't just read the satanic Bible. You really got to look into it. There are a lot of different authors out there with a lot of different views and they kind of all bottleneck into one idea. So, you know that Aquino passed away in September. Oh my goodness! I was asking Michael about this. Yeah, I did not know that. It is officially confirmed today. Lilith, Lilith, for some reason, you know, it's all speculation. Oh, his gorgeous wife, Lilith. My God, yeah. uh, 
she's a, a true beauty uh she they just posted it officially today over on the site but i guess it had oh. been kind of bubbling around yeah he was telling us he had cancer when we interviewed him and i kept telling michael you know for a guy who has cancer he certainly is you know he's he's got a good sense of humor his whole outlook about it was just okay what are we going to do and you know the weird thing is back in around christmas i actually sent him a christmas card and i was completely unaware of this i don't even remember the last time him and i interviewed michael aquino wow i i'm sorry i'm very shocked we news. think you did the last interview with him, by the way. Oh, that was what was kind of being talked about when we were, um, when C.W. Chanter had his pre-show here or on his channel. And it was kind of in the chats, people were thinking that your interview with him was the last. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm just really blown away by this information. Wow. Wow. Yeah, shocked. a lot of people are. It, it It's just interesting because he'd passed away in September. So it's, we had sent him an invite and wondered why he'd never responded. And now we know why he, he'd wow. passed on. So yeah, yeah. yeah. sweet dreams, Michael now, Aquino. Now that I think of it, I think the last time we interviewed him was in August of last year. I, I almost want to say it was last summer. And uh, this was before I was even the official co-host for the Michael Deacon program. Um, Michael would call me every once in a while, hey, you want to do an interview with me? And I would say, yeah, when, especially when he did Aquino. Uh, and I got an opportunity to, to uh, interview Aquino, I believe, four or five times. And I'm pretty sure the last time was last August or at least last summer. Um, I'm going to have to look that up. I'll, I'll be contacting Michael after this. Uh, interview is over to talk to him about this. Wow, I'm I'm blown away. Blown yeah, away. Yeah, it's you know it's funny. We're only, uh, it's interesting that we're talking. There are a lot of synchronicities going on today, and this is one. This was not a planned. Our show is never planned, though. Anything we were going to talk about, but this is how this is how our show goes. So I want to I want to weave this back though to young you. So now we have your religious. Uh, template of where you were and where you are now and so while we still are kind of building the foundation here uh, what was your how did the dream world what was your dream world like were you a dreamer did you have uh, what did they look like and, and and more specifically what did you think about dreams as a young person as a young man um, I had a lot of vivid dreams. I had a lot of vivid nightmares. And especially after age 13, I began to dream a lot about nuclear war. Uh, that, that replaced the old um, scary movie kind of, or monsters under the bed uh, scenario. And um, at the time, I believe uh, Ronald Reagan had become pre president in 1980. That's when I was 13. And uh there was all this talk about war and you know bombs and nuclear bombs so on and so forth and i used to have ter terrifying dreams of uh of nuclear warfare and uh that lasted for quite a while there's one dream i had in particular at age 22 
maybe 23. I had, do either of you know what a succubus is? Yes, yes we do. Of, we, this of is our language. Do. Of course we do. <laughs> of course you do. So, um, all right. So here, here's the deal. Uh, at age 23, I, I was still living at my parents' house. I just moved back, actually. I was living somewhere else. I just moved back, <clears throat> and I had a bedroom downstairs in my parents' house. And uh, I'll never forget this. I had a, a pull-out uh, sofa bed. And I used to sleep very late because I used to go out and stay out and party very late. So sometimes I wouldn't get up until like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So one day at about 10 a.m., I had this very, very vivid dream. And the dream was a woman, a very beautiful woman came to me in my dream and she was over the top of me. And I remember, at least I thought I woke up. I think it was part of the dream that I was trying to wake up. I can't, I couldn't even tell you at this point, but I couldn't move. There was a heaviness on my chest. I couldn't get up. I couldn't rise from my bed. And then I kept looking to the left and to the right. And on either side of the, of the sofa bed, I had these lamps. And um, every time I looked at one of the lamps, it became her face, the woman's face. And uh, so that, that was weird. That happened first. That happened one night, uh, actually one morning. And the girl I was dating with at the time, I told her what happened. Uh, we kind of thought it was freaky. The next night, or I should say the next morning, it happened again, the exact same situation. The heaviness on my chest, unable to, to, to wake up or, or rise from my bed and seeing the faces. It was almost an absolute repeat of what happened the day before. Told my girlfriend again. She was like, well, you know what happens if the third time she comes to you, like she takes your soul. And, so uh, the third time, the third day, that dream didn't quite happen, but I, I remember having a dream where I saw her in my room. This time she wasn't over the top of me. So that was one dream in particular that really stood out in my mind. I'll never forget that. Um, other dreams, uh, by the time I was about 25, I was smoking a lot of pot. And, you know, they tell you when you smoke a lot of pot, you don't dream at night, um, which was one of the reasons I started smoking pot a lot at night, because I didn't want to dream. <laughs> um, I can honestly say I don't remember a lot of dreams now. Um, I, I guess I kind of just brushed them off. Um, I'll smoke, I'll smoke weed every once in a while, usually just when I'm going to bed. I don't smoke it socially or anything like that. I just, uh, I smoke it just to put me to sleep at night. So I'm, I'm betting that it probably, uh, it probably uh, stifles my dreams. So back with these, Jerry, were you going to say something? Look like you were. Um, okay, so you, age 13, you're having these warlike dreams and and you, those were reoccurring, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to have the, especially if my parents went away to uh, the vacation house we had in Pennsylvania. Um, I would have these terrifying nightmares uh, if I was in the home, in the house alone. And uh, most of them, if not if not all of them, were always about war or about a wasteland which was ravaged by war, where I couldn't find anybody or. 
everything was destroyed, that sort of thing, you know. Interesting. And also, I guess just for this early stuff, are you an only child or do you have siblings? I have two older brothers. Okay. I figured with that Italiano in there, you had some, <laughs> you had some yeah, siblings. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, and then I wanted to get back to this, the succubi stuff too. Were you, so at this time, so you're 23 here, and did you, what were your thoughts of it? Were you thinking this is sleep paralysis? Did, did it feel like something other than you? How real was it? Oh, it was real. Um, I began reading about witchcraft in, in, in freshman year in high school. Um, and that's how I knew about things like this. Uh, kind of an interesting story how I read about how I, I began to understand witchcraft as well. Uh, in going to this, when I was a freshman in high school, there were these two girls, Jewish girls, uh, in a Catholic school, uh, Lisa and Cheryl. And... <laughs> This is so weird. They they had this book. Uh, I can't remember what the title of was the title of it was, but it's something something witchcraft. Maybe uh, understanding witchcraft or something to that effect. I don't know. It was just a simple paperback novel type book, you know. So I don't know where I was going, but I was coming out of uh, the school. I was going down the hallway, like down the stairs, the stairwell, and I ran into Lisa and Cheryl. And they were practicing witches at the time. Now, mind you, I was just 13. I really didn't understand a lot. I was kind of a mama's boy. I, I wasn't Mike Hideous. I certainly wasn't Mike Hideous. And um, as I, I walked down the stairs, they stopped me. And uh, almost as if they were coming on to me. And they're, they're asking me, like, so, you know, would you be interested in, you know, coming over and doing some of the rituals in the book and they showed me the book and I said, oh, I'll think about it because the girl Lisa, when she said that, had this really strange look in her eye, like almost like psychotic. And I kind of got freaked out a little bit right there. And so I left. So long story short, uh, I think it was that week, it was parents' night. And my mother was going to go to the school. She's going to go talk to the teacher. So I went with her. And when I went with her, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, BJ. And him and I took a shortcut through the gymnasium. And here's where it gets weird. As we were walking through the gymnasium, uh, which was also an auditorium, on the stage, lit by a light from the top of the stage, was that very book that Cheryl and Lisa had. It was sitting right there. And as I walked, I, I, was, I was behind my friend BJ as he walked through the, we walked through the, the auditorium or the gymnasium. And I saw this book and I'm like, holy crap. I said, that's their book. So I took it. And then that was the very first book I read about witchcraft. And I I was very shocked because it was almost as if it reached out and said, Mike, you got to read me. That's <laughs> but, astonishing. Know, I love this story. It was very weird. Yeah. Very weird. And I, I was still, I still trying to understand it. I didn't quite understand anything at that age. I was just a kid, you know? Did you, 
after you read it, what were your thoughts on these things, you know, that it represents? And because part of part of what I find is there's a sexiness to the occult that draws a lot of people in. Right. Well, for me, um, as I said, there was a point in time where I went for years, not really being attracted to either side, you know, God or Lucifer. And, um, but at around 19, what was I, 19? I think I was 19, possibly 20. Um, <laughs> a fr another friend of mine, we were, we were at my, my parents' house and another friend of mine came over with this satanic Bible. And uh, it was just me and my friend and another guy. Uh, and he brings this book over and he's trying to tell me, oh, let's, you know, let's read it. And I, and I, I still didn't quite understand things. And then all of a sudden, all the lights in my house went out. <laughs> wow. And I was really, <laughs> I was really freaked out at that. And I took the book and I was like, get this effing book out of my house. And I threw it out the door. Um, so again, I didn't quite understand it. Uh, I didn't quite know how to take it. And, um, yeah, so my early encounters with understanding or reading about the occult or witchcraft or even Satanism for that matter, I I didn't even go that way. I was completely I was completely uneducated and to tell you the truth, I don't even think I cared. Uh, I didn't want to know about it. It was it was years probably about 10 years later that I really began to find an attraction to the occult. Well, this is an interesting loop because you there you there was your first encounter with Levey's Bible, yeah. right there, and you throw it out, and then you come around to where you are now. That's a very interesting loop, and then also another one is pre two thousand and six, and you have, you know, anyone that can look back on you and see the dark imagery, the goth imagery, the punk rock imagery. You have a a a, a Plutonian uh very you know very uh very sexual very beautiful very dark and witchy persona and yet at that time you really weren't into any of it right um for the most part uh uh up until about 1993 that's when it all began um but prior to that i you know i was just being me i, I was just I had just started my band in 1988, so I was preoccupied in learning how to be a musician and a performer as well as a singer. Um, and that was really what dominated my life. Uh, and I suppose once I became more comfortable with that, I was able to incorporate more things into my life. I, I even put my artwork aside. Uh, once I was doing music, I pretty much stopped. I mean, I, I did a few things, but not nearly as much as what I'm doing now. Um, you know, because music, it, it, that was what I was focused on. I was trying to get to that level of, of being a successful professional musician. Uh, so, you know, all the other stuff was secondary, if at all. Um, so, as I said, once... 1993 94 rolled around i was beginning to accept more things and i had uh i had renounced my religion um 
and uh, or I should say my religious upbringing. And uh, I guess things just sort of little by little became what they became. So in 1993, if we can go back there, did you, so what was going on? Were you with your dream life? Do you recall that period bringing in anything unusual in your dream life? Were you dreaming at this time? I probably was, but I don't, again, I don't recall. There was nothing that, nothing really stands out um, in, in my dreams. Again, at that point, I began to uh, smoke marijuana more often, um, especially at night. So I wasn't remembering my dreams. Uh, they, I mean, you still dream, but I, I think they say that when you smoke marijuana, you don't remember your dreams. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that happens for some, it's, it seems to be common, but it's not, for, not everyone says that. I mean, I have, so, I'll have them once in a while. I'll, I'll have a dream and I'll remember it. But for the most part, uh, I just, I don't recall. So when you were getting into uh, the occult, this, and so really around 93, when you were more open to this stuff, what were you, what did you think? And the reason why I'm pinning this on the occult is because dreams are tied into all this otherness, this other than us, this realm that we visit, that we can visit, that we have access to. Uh, and it's mystical because of that. Right. What were your thoughts and not your thoughts now, what were your thoughts then about the whole experience of dreaming? Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't even think I had an opinion. Um, I, I never really thought about it back then. It's, that's interesting because it's mentioned in so much of the occult. And oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a portal of sorts, but you really got deeper into that stuff in 06, it looks like. Uh, yeah. In 2006 is when I really be became immersed in it. Um, uh, and as I said, for seven years, I believe it was, I, let's see, 2000. 2006, 2007. Yeah. So yeah, for, for a good amount of years, I was, I was studying it. And then in 2011, I wrote by hand my own grimoire um, of, of, uh, of black magic. Uh, it's a 400 plus page book. Uh, the book was handmade in Turkey, a leather bound cover with a moon embossed on it which was given to me originally as a gift uh, from a friend of mine to be an art book. Uh, but I ended up changing it and turning it into a grimoire. So it took me exactly, exactly one year to write this entire book, which also includes uh, not only all my hand, handwritten um, uh, spells and, and curses and, and rituals and so on and so forth, uh, but also meditation and mantras and, and history. And uh, like I took everything from every book I was ever reading and incorporated the good things that I wanted to into my own book so that when I wanted to, to study magic on my own time, I could get to exactly what I wanted to get to. Uh, the book includes um, drawings, uh, both original and copies from other grimoires and books. And uh, as I say, over 400 plus pages of uh, spells, incantations, and uh, rituals. 
Oh, my stars. This sounds incredible, Mike. Are you at any point? I know it's a personal work and psychologically, there's nothing more uh, compelling than doing those kinds of things. This is basically what Jung was doing in his black journals that then filtered out and became his his red book, uh, part of his his other journals and it's the same thing it was it's his grimoire but this is a psychological process so i'm wondering and so for people that may not know i hear you talk about this on deacon show uh well you're in deacon show and uh the cancer battles you've gone through so which have been several Seven. and eight eight actually eight is amazing. So I, I would like to get into some of that in regards to the esoteric side of what you went through. And did did some of this catharsis through these processes make it into your grimoire? Because obviously this process of facing the unknown at that level brings you to where you are now, obviously. Well, um, I've had uh, a, a total of eight encounters with uh, cancer, both uh, malignant and uh, benign. Uh, and I say eight because two, uh, two times, uh, actually I should say, there were two instances in which I had can two different cancers at the same time. Um, that's when I was 16. Uh, but it all that's when it all started actually, when I was 16 years old. And, uh, so yeah, I, I've had as many times as I've had cancer. It never reflected in any of the writing that I did with the grimoire. I didn't see any necessity to include that in anything. Uh, did it have an influence? No. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I try very hard to uh, to sort of leave it out of my my active world, for lack of a better term, and. Uh, yeah, the things that have happened to me with cancer, um, I try very hard to put them aside um, and and move forward, you know. Well, so I guess what I'm saying is it, it informs you on a deeper level. And uh, as you, you know this, it changes your view, whether it's just about uh, knowing that you can survive, but you're also facing looking into the void, right? Right. And uh, it just does this, there's a major shift when one has to confront yourself at that level and your mortality at that level that is sometimes goes without uh, knowing or understanding. And I, I find in people I know that have confronted these things and, and myself with having been in some bad situations, but not cancer, uh, that, that all these big life-changing encounters create, uh, they agitate us and create something different and new. So I feel personally like this information's definitely informed uh, anything you've done artistically, even if you may not acknowledge that. Oh, it definitely influenced me. As a matter of fact, the, the, uh... When was it the second the uh, the second time I had it, which was at twenty age twenty one? Uh, that's when I it, it influenced me 
to want to be a musician and, and write music. Um, I had uh, at that the second time around, I ended up having a, a tumor in my spinal column, wrapped around my spinal cord, um, and I had to have this major, major surgery in order to get it out. Um, uh, so after it happened, uh, I was. I already loved music. I, I I was loving music since I was about again thirteen. <clears throat> uh, so I come out of this 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 probably a four month event of which it took me to actually recuperate, where I could walk again and and you know be steady on my feet and not worry about you know breaking my back or something. But. Uh, it was at that point that I decided, you know what, I'm going to start writing music. I want to write, I want to record songs. Um, and uh, before I knew it, I had a band and I was getting ready. And that's, you know, that was a really big thing for me. Then I got sick again at age 23. This time I had, uh, they, they uh, uh, diagnosed me with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. This time I didn't get surgery. This time I got, I had so many tumors on my back. They, um, they had to uh, treat me with chemotherapy and radiation. And then that time around that influenced me even more to, to want to do the thing. I, I became so focused at that point in my, in my life that I was going to be a musician, that I was going to do the things that I wanted to do and not let anything hold me back. Uh, because I realized at that point in time that life was far too short and so many people don't understand, how, they take life for granted and they don't understand how easily it can be taken away from you. And that that is how probably what I owe to the success of myself being uh, the noted musician that I or performer that I became. Um, granted, I didn't become... Uh, you know, somebody like Bruce Springsteen or David Bowie. But uh, I certainly made a name for myself worldwide. And that's, I guess, good enough for me. Oh, you certainly did. And you're fucking awesome. Your you're singing voice. Oh, Lord. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Baby, it can take me there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. So, um, so I, I guess I want to get, since you don't have a lot of uh, dream stuff to bring in, I do want to catch an idea. I, so it's going to be philosophical, of course, and a lot of what we do here is anyway. But when you dream and the dreams you recall, what does the dream landscape look like for you? Is it color? Do you experience smell or taste? All that kind of, what does it appear to be? As much as I would love to give you a spectacular answer, I really can't. I, I can honestly tell you, I can't even remember the last time I, I, I remembered a dream. Uh, well, for example, for example, your, um, your war dreams when you were 13, were they in color? That's a good question. I Somehow I remember uh, the one dream I had where I ran outside and I looked towards the mountains and I could... I saw the mushroom uh, cloud, or at least the explosion. Um, I want to say I saw that in color. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard to say whether it was or not. Uh, 
but it, obviously it was completely visceral for you to still have that those images around and that it was reoccurring do you think uh and this kind of piggybacks off of that do you what what are your thoughts on precognitive dreams because uh, time doesn't loop up time has so we we've got to strip the idea of time from the dream realm that it does not play there remind me uh definition of precognitive again dreaming something before it happens oh okay so, kind of like deja vu right very close to deja vu i think people could argue those points but say say for example 13 year old you may have been precognitively tapping into something that we could be looking at right now you know what i'm saying yes and and you know as much as i would love to believe that Without, I, I, I'm I'm very skeptical about everything, and uh, you're it takes a satanist, a of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is a good I've, quality. I've been like this all my life, you know, which is one of the reasons that I ended up getting out of religion at the age of 13 because I was asking so many questions and trying to get answers, but nobody had answers for me. It was all blind faith, and I cannot rely on blind faith. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so. Uh, to answer your question, I don't, I really can't tell you whether or not any of my dreams had any significance to real life events. Um, I, I really, I, I just can't answer that question. I'm sorry. No, that, that's absolutely fair. No sorries here, baby. No sorries. So, all right, let's get into a little bit of the, oh, and, and before I kind of close this, this little section, when you were going through surgeries and recoveries, and also this includes like uh, addiction recoveries and all that, did you ever find yourself out of your body? So, and that's a wide open question. It could be because of, of say, uh, a drug or because of uh, just torment in, in whatever way or extreme pleasure. Have you had a by, have you been outside of your physical body in any way that you can yes. put your finger on? Yes. In 1993, uh, my wife had bought some magic mushrooms <laughs> and I took some and um, I remember lying down on our bed she had gone to work and uh, I had lied down on the bed and I had this feeling I remember being myself lying face down on the bed with my face in the pillow and then I remember coming out of the body seeing the back of my body going further out to the ceiling and then uh, just sort of hovering in that area and looking around that, that that's probably the best example I could give you of an out of body, uh, an out of body experience. Um, it was so clear. Um, I guess they were really good mushrooms. <laughs> Did you, were you, so what was the mood like? You know, so you're you're out of your body, and this is a big deal, really. Right, right. So, what was the mood like? Is the question for you? Yeah, I mean, what, how were you, when you were having that experience? What did it feel like? As far it as it was frightening, it was yeah. frightening. 
I, yeah. I was really freaked out. Um, you know, I, 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 I want to say it was a reaction from the mushrooms, I'm assuming. Um, but at the same time, I can't even remember if I had fallen asleep or not. I, I, I just don't remember what it was. I mean, again, this was 1993. Uh, and as I said, that's probably the closest thing I can recall as being an out-of-body experience. If I may interject for one second to your questions, there have been three instances in which I actually predicted what was going to happen that very moment. Oh, um, yes, lay those on us. Okay, the first was, as a boy, I, uh, again, 13 years old, I was laying in bed uh, uh, um, in my parents' house, obviously, and I'm laying in bed. It was a Saturday morning, probably about 10 or 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. And in my bedroom, I used to have a, a, a plant hanging from a, uh, a plant holder that was overneath uh, i had like a beanbag chair when i was that age you know and it was over in the corner and i remember waking up laying on my back and i was just looking at the plant looking at the plant looking at the plant looking at the plant and i said to myself gee if anybody was sitting on that beanbag chair if that thing ever broke it would break their head because it was a big glass uh, uh uh plant holder or pot with a plant in it and all of a sudden the thing just went and it just dropped and it fell right onto the beanbag. That was the first incident I had ever had where I was actually thinking about something and it happened. The next time, fast forward till I was, till I was uh, 20, 22, possibly 23, maybe even, yeah, about 22, 23. A friend of mine, this guy Frank, had give, he was a Buddhist and he had given me these little... Um, these little hand carved skulls that the Buddhists make for uh, they're supposedly prayer beads. Yeah. Prayer beads. Right. They're made out of yak bones. So he made this beautiful necklace for me. And I, I used to wear the necklace all the time and all these skulls on it. One day I'm in the shower and I'm doing my thing in the shower. And I think to myself, gee, I, I should probably next time take this necklace off because if it were to break, all these little skull beads would go right down the drain. And in that very second, the thing went blink and it fell right off my, my neck. And I had to put my foot on the drain so that the, the, scal the skulls didn't go down the drain. But at that very second, as I was thinking it, it happened. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Fast forward to age, I think I was 32. <clears throat> I was driving back from my parents' house. This is I was living with a girl at the time. And uh, we were driving back from my parents' house after, after a visit. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking to myself, other cars were coming. Um, they were coming down the road towards me. And I just thought for a second, gee, what would happen? If one of these cars hit a rock and the rock flip, flipped over on this side of the lane and hit my windshield. And at that very moment, a rock came flying up and hit my windshield. There you go. Holy cannoli. Three incidences to which I cannot explain 
which, and I'm not lying about it. I have no reason to lie about it, but, and I'm certainly not exaggerating either. Uh, but yeah, that, that, all three of those incidences blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. Especially the one with the necklace. Yeah, these are these are incredible. It's like they're all a decade apart. What yeah. what do you make of this experience? What what do you think I, about it? I couldn't tell you. I I don't know. I I mean, what who does it? What does anybody know about circumstantial, uh, coincidental experiences that anyone has? Nobody really has any clue as to what or why or how. Uh, well, that's certainly... the fun part, Mike. That's yeah, yeah. This is where we swim. I like this stuff. I like the <laughs> stuff that nobody has a real claim on it. They can suggest they do, but right. in the end of the day, you just can't prove it. <laughs> that's right. You know, and as much as I would love to give you some answer that you know uh, somebody was watching me, I, I just, I just don't know. I can't explain it. So do you think it's possible, so whatever it is, you were in tune with circumstances that were going to play out, you know, rather swiftly for you. And like I said, for whatever reasons, whatever the mechanism is there, uh, this is this is part of that other experience that, that is often tied into uh, genres like dreaming and the experience of dreaming where it's an, an, another experience we can't quite put our hand on it we can't really wrap around how is it happening that we're jumping the idea of time space right you're tapping into something and i'm wondering so and again these questions are all just about what you think i don't care about hanging stuff on someone's theories or other stuff that's all great in the world that's fantastic i'm glad there are people that do all this and and have theories and math behind it we're just mostly interested in in opinions and ideas and so this idea of synchronicity if you will right which is technically meaningful coincidence okay. so it's coincidence that we ascribe meaning to uh otherwise there's no meaning there and it's just one of those hit your head hmm, what a quinkadink but when you have them like this with you three experiences that are unusual and connect a certain phenomena there you know it leads me to question your idea of synchronicity and the synchronistic universe Okay, so what was the question? I'm sorry, I, I didn't. So, what do you think about synchronicity? So, all these coincidences that happen that seem right, right. related. Okay, so I, I again, I, I really don't know if, if there was a connection. I, I'd like to think there might be, but I, I to be perfectly honest with you, I never, I never really dove that deep into it i just figured these were coincidence coincidences that happened uh i had no control over it they just happened the world is full of coincidences uh which are quite unexplainable but the world is a very big place the universe is a very yes. big place <laughs> and there are a lot of unanswered questions and let's face it our 
we as a species are only capable of understanding such things that are in front of us, within our, our sight, within uh, a realm of understanding. So I can honestly sit here and tell you, I don't know what the cause was. I don't know what the significance was or the, or the, the reasoning behind what, what happened. I, I never dove deeply into it only because I figured, you know, well, am I going to find an answer? Probably not. That's be fair nice enough. To know, but it'd well, be nice to know, but I just, I just don't know. I just no, don't know. I, I appreciate this about you. And, and that's another thing, you know, it's all right to, I think it gives a person more credibility to say, I, I don't know than pulling shit out of their ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> so with this said, what are your ideas around, and so thoughts, feelings, intuitions uh, around the others? And so let me let me give you a little something to chew on with that. Wait, wait, fodder. back up, back up a second. When you did, when okay, you did the big shroom yes. trip, did you see the elves or anything, <laughs> any entities other than? No humans. No, okay. no. Uh, for me, at at that time in my life, uh, any sort of um, mind altering substance I might have had, and I only had. I, I mean, I only smoked pot and and occasionally had a mushroom or two. I didn't trip on mushrooms a lot. Um, the I think the only other thing I ever at that time, the only other thing I had ever done was maybe you know like Percocet or Vicodin. Um, and, and that to me, I don't even know if that's considered to be a hallucinogen. It's not, uh, right. Okay. So smoking marijuana and, or, uh, having, uh, cyclobin mushrooms <clears throat> only allowed me to, at the time, you know, trip, you know, I, 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 that's what it was about, man. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't think about it. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't connecting any sort of visual um uh, hallucinations or if you will with any sort of paranormal experience or anything like sure. that i simply i simply just i was just getting high <laughs> yeah, you didn't you didn't take the the uh five gram hero dose so Right, right. <laughs> yeah, later, I can't later get on, those. <laughs> right. La later on, uh, you know, when I got in, I, believe it or not, I didn't actually experiment with other drugs until after I got out of the misfits, um, and then I, I kind of experienced a, a whole other realm of things uh, afterwards. Um, you know, ecstasy, everything from cocaine to heroin uh, to. Um, Oh geez, I don't. Oh, I don't the CIA remember. drugs. I get it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. all the, all the narcotics. <laughs> yes. uh, but you know, I'm clean. You know, I'm clean from all that now. The only thing I I do currently is I do smoke marijuana, and again, I only do it at night, just before I'm going to go to bed. I, I I don't I can't even remember the last time I. There you go. <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I smoked weed uh, socially. Uh, probably at least 10 years ago, if not more. Um, I only do it now for, for this medicinal old man reasons. To, I don't even think it's that. It's, it's for this old man to go to sleep. 
<laughs> I smoke a little weed. I put like South Park on and and go to sleep. Oh, hey, you know? <laughs> this sounds like a date night. <laughs> Set that TV so. timer and kick back. <laughs> You're getting Igor worked up. All right, so I have I have a question about uh, the others where we were going. So what what are your ideas about? other things out in the universe that people talk about so like ghosts what are ghosts to you oh boy that's a that's a deep subject um again let me repeat i am extremely uh in order to believe something it's got to be proven to me um so i'm very skeptical about a lot of things um as much as i would love to believe in ghosts as much as i would love to believe in god um, and I searched for God all my life. Um, but as far as the paranormal is concerned, uh, I've never seen a ghost. However, here's a, here's a, here's an interesting one for you. When I wrote that grimoire, uh, I had gotten to a section in my studies reading about contracts with the devil. And how you sign a contract, you sign your life away to Lucifuge. And the night I did that, um, I, I signed it in blood. And that evening, I swear to you, I kept seeing shadows in my in my studio. And I was straight. I wasn't I wasn't smoking. I wasn't stoned. I wasn't drugged out or anything. But after I had written that pact, I kept seeing shadows in, in, my, in my home, in my studio at the time. As a matter of fact, I even kept seeing, I don't, I don't know, I guess you guys can see this, but I even kept seeing fingers come past me and pointing like over my shoulder. I kept seeing these fingers. Uh, so <laughs> can I explain that? No, but that, that was something that happened to me. I cannot explain it. The only other did, did I have another paranormal experience? With I, your, I, I, I go ahead. I'm sorry, John. I was going to say, with your entree into Satanism of late, what do you think of that experience now, looking back? The one with when I when with the contract. And, yeah, the whole thing. Uh, the whole thing. It really made me think, Jerry. Mm. Uh, it made me think. And then when I finished the grimoire and I did my, I did one, two, I did on my third spell, my third spell came true. Um, and it all had to do, and I'm not going to mention any names or, or get into details, but I will tell you this. My spell had included the, um, how would I put this? someone in my building at the time to go away. And uh, I didn't like that person very much. In fact, her and her friend, I didn't like very much. And they lived upstairs from me. And I'll never forget, I was walking in the hallway with, with somebody else. And I saw one of these two people that I was not very fond of. And uh, she said in, in a conversation to the person that I was with, she said, yeah, well, we're moving out at the end of the week. And I was like, <laughs> I 
what? <laughs> it came true. Holy crap. So, um, yeah. So <laughs> that was, and then I did a couple other spells in which uh, the, the circumstances ended up taking place as well. So I was kind of blown away by the fact that the magic that I was practicing in rituals um, was having an effect. So I could sit here and tell you this. If you practice magic, I feel very confident that you are, if you, if you practice it and you get good at it, I feel very confident that I can sit here and tell you that it works because uh, I've witnessed it work. Yes, but, it does. But as far as ghosts are concerned, I, I don't know. I would love to see one one day. Um, the 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 spells that I've 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 uh, uh, that I've practiced or the curses that I've I've uh, cast, um, as well as rituals. Uh, the, it's it's kind of like it's a crapshoot sometimes, um, and you have to accept that because altering life and altering. Uh, the events of life is obviously not in something you really have to put your mind into. You have to believe it's going to change. And then if, and when it does, you have to accept it as either being again, coincidence, or did you really have this ability to make a change in reality? Jerry, well, you look like you're ready to talk. Yeah, while you were talking about that, I swear I saw an orb fly around your head. <laughs> where, where, my place or in yours? On Holy yours. Shit. It came, it oh, came out oh, from okay. behind your head and flew around your head. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're conjuring there, Mike. Right on, right on. Possibly. Well, you know what? On that note, what was so I this might be too personal, but your contract you made, could you give us an idea of what that was and what it was for you? Uh when you sign a pact with Lucifuge, you have to uh you have to uh renounce your religious your, your religious upbringing you have to renounce your baptism uh you have to renounce god um you have to make a bargain with him um and then uh, according to legend loose the you, you you once you sign it in blood you leave it out uh and and throughout the night loose is supposed to come mm, i guess metaphorically collect it even though he doesn't take the actual paper uh, and then brings it to lucifer and then your soul is uh damned to eternity <laughs> uh but again it all it all depends uh on how you look at what hell or lucifer or the afterlife is for example uh the master who taught me uh, when you when you study witchcraft or or any sort of magic, you're you're supposed to not only study yourself, but you're, you're also supposed to be taught by a master. The master who taught me is a guy from San Francisco. I'll only leave it as his first name. His name, first name is Seth. Seth instructed me that 
when you when you read the old grimoires, when you read the old books on uh, medieval black magic and or Satanism or witchcraft, you have to take them with a grain of salt. Um, because back then, what the uh, the people were doing who were in, getting involved in magic, uh, a lot of them were still Christians uh, or Arabs or even Jews for that matter. Every 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 main religion had its 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 dark side. Um, uh, in fact, a lot of magic comes from the Jewish heritage, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand years prior to Christianity. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Take that back. Three thousand years before Christianity. Um, so uh, Seth explained to me that there are certain things one has to take into into consideration uh, about magic, and that is you 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 have to give it an element of your own belief because magic is what magic is what you make of it. So you don't have to go according to textbooks, so so to speak to uh uh you know everything doesn't have to be explained in that book that you're reading which was written probably a thousand years ago in a grimoire a thousand years ago um uh, so you know the sad thing about all of this the, the the really sad thing about all of this is that i have been involved in magic all on my own since 2011 uh, I have searched high and low to get involved with covens or or even uh, groups of Satanists. And where I live, I can't find one of them. I cannot find anybody who I would consider to be intelligent enough. You know, not some young heavy metal guy that says, Satan! Yeah, da, 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 da. You know, that's not, that's not what it is about for me. I wanted to find smart people who were involved in magic uh, that would be willing to take on such uh, 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 feats of, of conjuring up the dead, conjuring up spirits and, and ghosts. But I, I don't have any of them out here in Pennsylvania. I, I don't have anybody. And I, you know, I got farmers and I got construction workers. That's it. So uh, I'm sure we can this... find you somebody to practice with. <laughs> Please do, somebody. You need a hot babe. That's it. That's that on your level. That's uh, is, what did you say? Demon. You conjure. need a hot babe that's on your level. <laughs> Jerry, a high priestess. So yeah, yeah, but they don't live out in Pennsylvania. I can tell you that. Well, you never know. I know one in pencil in uh, where's she in Philly? Philly. Yeah, that's about three hours from where I am. Lady of That's a distance. <laughs> oh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> never know. You never know. I, 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 anybody. I'd like to meet anybody that that yeah. would be in a, in, in, a, in a vicinity of which I can visit or or have them visit me. It's it's difficult. It, I mean, it it, it's it is difficult. And one good thing about the internet age is at least people are able to connect uh, virtually now. Like I said earlier, when we were talking at the beginning, that's at least one of the good things, so that you know you're not alone. Uh, and, and with all due respect, Nish, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I have a, a great disagreeance about that comment you made, and that is this. Yeah, there's plenty of connections that we can make through uh, social media, so on and so forth. But in my personal opinion, 
I sincerely believe that minds work better within the same room. I sincerely believe that if you're going to try to cast a spell and use magic uh, and you're going to have a group of people, like, like let, let's say a coven of people, yes. that to me is the best way to go about it. I don't, I mean, I can meet all the people I want on Facebook or, or in the internet or whatever. I don't think it would make any difference whatsoever if, if, you know, they wanted to do some sort of a magical thing through the internet. I don't think that personally, I don't think machinery and magic works together. That's just my, my I'm old school like that too, Mike. And so I'm not saying that where, and this is why I personally don't have uh, a coven right now. And I'm in a spot where there are a lot of uh, facsimiles of witches. I'm not like the witch you read in the book. I'm a different kind of witch and more, more like the Bene Gesserit from Dune. But anyway. Oh yeah, uh, I love that movie. Uh-huh. That's that's my style. And yes. but anyway, there's it what I'm saying with that is that we can connect via these these basically web uh tendrils, these web this web that makes this cloth of connection. So as far as doing the workings, yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. And that's why I'm solitary at this time myself. So, but with the, all that said, I, uh, I wanted to get your idea on this kind of this other stuff. So that would possibly branch out into say the wild wacky world of ETs and aliens. What do you, what do you think about all that? Okay. Um, once, when I was about nine years old, I was with a group of friends right in the city. Uh, I was born and raised in Patterson, New Jersey. And uh, we actually... Ooh, that's already a, a hot spot. Where, oh what gosh. happened in Patterson? There was a big UFO thing, Jerry. What was that? Really? I don't know. Yes. Jerry will find it, I'm sure. He's like, Okay. Was this recently? No, it's an old school, like classic UFO thing. Oh, no kidding. Well, uh, in in, in the 70s, I'm going to say around 77, 76, I think it was. uh, I and a few other of my friends, we actually saw something come down out of the sky. In fact, my my friends, uh, it was two girls and a boy. They were brothers and sister. And their mother even came out and they saw it too. Um, we couldn't explain what it was, but we saw this thing come down and fly away. Um, now, as much as I would love to believe in little green men and, uh, aliens and all that, um, I'm sorry, but it, once again, without proof, I cannot, I cannot believe it. Um, <clears throat> there's plenty of people out there that have, uh, and especially with the internet, you know, you've got all kinds of footage of these flying things, whether they're from earth or from some faraway galaxy. Uh, here's the reason why I don't believe in aliens. Um, I used to, I used to work, I used to volunteer at an observatory, a, a telescope. Uh, in in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, and I was trained by a NASA ambassador how to operate this $150,000 telescope. 
Uh, and I used to go there as a photographer and I would take pictures through the telescope. So I used to talk to her about aliens and, and, and life from other, other possibly other uh, galaxies. And the scientific issue that came up was this. Uh, if there is indeed life out there, and, and believe me, with these, with these new uh, uh, satellites like the Kepler, uh, and I think, uh, what's the new one that they have? I can't remember. But all they're, they're finding Spitzer. the Spitzer. Okay. So they're finding all these inhabitable, or at least scientifically thought inhabitable uh, planets. Allegedly. They, allegedly. 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 Based on their scientific research and, and the tests that they are able to do, they are finding planets within the Goldilocks zone where they may actually have life what kind of life who knows they could have squids they could have algae they could have beings that um are flying around like the jetsons who knows but the thing is we may never know um and this is as i said before the universe is it's beyond comprehension that's how big it is and if indeed there are intelligent beings on there. And I believe there are, I, but I don't think that they're right next to us. I mean, look, look, it takes us X amount of time, what, six months to get to, to Mars. It is physically impossible to travel at the speed of light, at least to our knowledge. We don't know if it's possible, you know, unless we get, unless we get the, uh, the, the, the scientific knowledge from another being on how to travel at the speed of light we are never going to even if we did travel at the speed of light it would take us like how how close is andromeda andromeda to us andromeda is like five light years light years it's like trillions we could never make it there we could never make it and i sincerely sincerely doubt they could make it here and if they are why are they flying around in like Arizona or Mexico or Brazil or Canada, and why aren't they landing? Why aren't they communicating with us? That's why when I hear these 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 conspiracy theories about whether or not aliens exist and uh, you know why the government is keeping it secret, I'm sorry. I just I just it, it, look. If an alien race is going to come here, I sincerely doubt they're going to go. Uh, yeah, we want to speak to the president. Can you can you please let us know who the president is? Uh, and we would like to talk to the president of Mexico and Venezuela. I mean, how are they going to know? You know what I'm saying? It's like I just it just seems illogical to me. I'd love I I would love if if it was real, but to me, all the images that you see on the internet are either fake or possibly man-made secret. Uh, components that are, are being tested by the military or something like that. that uh, that's what I think when I look up in the sky in general. <laughs> that it's all fake. That it's all fake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's so many theories on what it, they, they can and can't be. And, and I, don't have, I don't have an answer for you because I don't know what they are myself. I wish I knew. I really do. And I, I, again, just like God, I've been searching for aliens too. Uh, but again, without proof, I, I'm very skeptical. Right there with what you, brother. Do you, 
What? Yeah, there's a lot of people that are. What do you think about the idea of interdimensionality? And then also with that, like the whole, and I don't know how much of this stuff you're exposed to. So um, I, I got to be then, honest. It, it, not it, a lot. I'm, <laughs> interdimensional, I couldn't even begin to tell you anything about it. I'm completely unknowledgeable about it. Yeah. And what about the inner, have you heard anything about the inner earth stuff? Yeah, I think that's absolutely silly. This is why I really enjoy you, Mike. Here's the thing. Straight up there. I love this New Jersey aspect of you. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, that will debunk this whole idea of Middle Earth. Um, back in, I believe it was the 60s or 70s, around the 60s, mid, mid to late 60s, uh, both the United States and Russia competing with each other. They tried, while we were trying to go up to the heavens, we were also trying to go deep into the earth. Um, and the Russians actually beat us out by going, oh golly, uh, um, something like six or seven miles deep into the crust of the earth. And the deeper they got, the hotter the temperature became. In fact, I believe, according to what they said, it was 180 degrees Celsius. Now, I don't know what that is Fahrenheit, but that's goddamn hot. So there is nothing that can survive down there except microbes. That's it. You're not going to find dinosaurs. You're not going to find hobbits. You're not going to find chuds. Nothing lives in the center of the earth except microbes. That's it. It's scientifically impossible for anything such as me or you guys to survive in such a hostile environment. In fact, all you got to do is go down about a mile or so, and it starts getting hot. Do you guys remember the crystal mines that were found in Mexico uh, a couple of years ago? All right. These gigantic crystals, gigantic and they were created by the pressure and the heat of this cave. Now, these guys, they go into this cave, and I, I can't remember how deep down it is. It's about a mile or so, and they go they into this selenite, cave. They're selenite, I think. Beg your pardon? I think they're selenite. Be that as it may, <clears throat> these guys, these scientists had to wear, or geologists had to wear, uh, these heat protection suits. And even in the suits, they're sweating like crazy because the humidity is like 200% and the heat is unbearable. And that's only a mile or two down. You go six, seven miles, you're going to be on fire. So I cannot fathom the existence of uh, anything uh, in the middle of <laughs> or at least below the crust of, of the earth. It's just not possible. So with that said, though, what do you, so I'm going to, I'm tying this back into the, your inner world and which is where dreams and all that happen. What are your thoughts on the idea of your inner world? And, uh, and so I want to take that into the idea of with that, that information right there, move that into the, your ideas of what is death and what happens when we cross that particular membrane. I hear a doggy. I've got four. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a big hug for me. 
Um, okay, are you ready? I have a real, real simple answer for this. And it might sound really weird coming from a person such as myself. Uh, currently, I believe when you die, it's all over. I believe your brain stops working and every thought, every, every molecule that might hold a thought in your brain uh, either is eliminated or somehow transposed into another living being. Don't ask me how, it's just a theory. I, I, that's the best I can give you, but I do not believe in uh, uh, life after death. Or, or should I say the afterlife per se? Um, I, I would like to believe in sort of a transition of life from the idea, maybe, I don't know, a thought to another child. I, I don't know. Um, but scientifically, based on every scientific teacher I've ever spoken to, uh, and what they've told me, particularly doctors um, and those in the scientific field, that when you die, that's it. It's all over. So you're all done. So how would this play into the idea of your your contract you made? That's a good question. <laughs> good question. Try to understand that when I... When I practice my beliefs of, of Satanism, that I do them simply because I am here now. And if indeed something changes when I pass on, then that's it. There's just really nothing I could do. I feel that there's, on the, the, the greater scheme of things that, or the, or the greater picture of things, I cannot control what what happens. Um, let's face it. I mean, death is the ultimate question. Uh, it, it's and it's the the ultimate end. Um, it's the great eliminator. Uh, you know, and yet none of us really has an answer to what it is now. You might say, well, what about those people who have died and have seen the other side and come back? There is a very scientific answer to that. And I've spoken to several doctors about this. When the brain goes into, uh, it, 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 when it begins to shut down, uh, there are, um, your brain starts firing off these things. And that's why you start seeing your dead relatives and, seeing you know open fields and sunsets and pleasurable things because your mind also starts rele releasing uh uh what do they call them uh not opiates dmt uh, the, the dmts right so you you start you start your your brain is preparing you for death and if indeed you do slip into an unconsciousness where you're flatlining and then you see that that tunnel uh this was all explained to me. I wish I could explain it better, but I'm not a I'm not a scientist or a doctor. But your brain is is producing something that you, as a mere mortal, 
can understand and relate to. Um, and thus, you know, people think that they're going to heaven and seeing, you know, robed figures of, of Jesus and God and their, their dead relatives. I believe they're seeing that, but I believe they're seeing it through their mind, which in turn, their mind is allowing them to see it because it's a calming effect. It's, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting these, these, uh, you're getting these, uh, boosts of, of like opiates in your system to relax you and prepare you for the unknown. So everybody who has died, I think the record holder is somebody who was dead for 15 minutes. And I think that was a boy who fell into uh, icy water and drowned and was brought back to life. I think it actually, I think it was 30 minutes, could even have been longer, but he was dead for all that time. And, uh, you know, you, you come back for all these people who have died and come back. None of them have actually ever gotten to the other side because they all end up coming back. So there's that, there's that threshold, that that fine line before you cross it, and there's no turning back at that point. You're done. So that's my that's my outlook on on life after death. I feel that when you're dead, you're dead, and that's it. So with that said, what do you think the function of dreaming is? How does it serve us, especially since you can have uh, you know, reportedly, and I certainly do, a very fantastical uh, dream life where you're lucid dreaming and you're the architect of landscapes and all that. But for you, what what is its function? Why does it play out? Why do we have access to that realm? That's a very, very simple answer. Uh, scientifically, um, scientists have explained that dreaming we all have to dream because our brains don't just shut off. So when we go to sleep, that's like turning off your computer so that your computer can now uh, coordinate all the data that it's gotten throughout the day and organize it. Uh, it's just like I, it's just like when you uh, blink. If you blink, or, or when you blink, I should say. You're allowing your mind, it, it's almost like a, it's like a pause. You're allowing your mind to process the information that you have seen and it gets put into the data banks of your brain. When we dream, uh, our brain is in its function during, it's in a subconscious function during a sleep state so that we just, you can't just stop your brain. So your, your brain thinks, it'll, it, it fires off uh, things that you've seen or thought about or can imagine. That's the beauty about being human. Uh, we can we can dream up these amazing things and, and they become fantasy, so to speak. Uh, but we're not the only creatures. Uh, I mean, there's it, mammals definitely dream. How many times have you looked at your dogs or your cats and you see them you know, go chasing something in their sleep? They dream. It's all it's all a process. To, it keeps it's. It's the brain remaining alive and functioning while you're in a subconscious state. So with all that said, where, because I didn't get a clear idea, you were kind of speaking 
possibly in terms of reincarnation, but not quite committed. Where, where is that? <laughs> not, not quite committed. <laughs> it's a, it's a nice thought. I'd like to think of it that way, but again, without proof, I don't really know. Uh, you know, the Hindus have their belief in of reincarnation that if you lead a good life, you come back as a better person. If you lead a bad life, you come back as a, a, a rat or a mosquito or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, you know, again, a nice concept. I'd like to think that would be the case, but uh, unprovable. Well, that you know, this is why we love the subject is is no one really knows. And there's a lot of people that think they do and on all sides of it. But until you know, you don't know. That's right. <laughs> it's that's a special right. club. Yep. <laughs> and we're all <laughs> headed right. that way. That's right. <laughs> so I wanted that. to get, I, I definitely wanted to get before um, we get questions or <laughs> just talk about, I know some people are going to want to know some stuff about the misfits or something. We're, sure. We have a live chat like on your show. Uh, on your grimoire, do you ever have, be, you're such a wonderful artist. I can only imagine it's just a thing of beauty. Do you ever have any intention of possibly publishing it? You know, maybe taking out, uh, editing it and then putting it forth. No. Uh, and I'll explain why. Um, I have many books on uh, the occult and uh black magic and witchcraft and uh, all of the above so um when i was doing my research the information that i put in my grimoire most of it a, a good portion of it was taken f directly from the books that i was reading um for example uh there's a there's one book called uh, the hexagram grimoire hex hex hexagram no wait 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 hexagram oh shoot i can't remember the name of it and in any event um in any event it's got a a a, a chapter within it that talks about uh, how to prepare yourself uh, in a meditative state when you're getting ready to uh either do a, uh, an incantation or an evocation or a spell and it's how to prep yourself before you step into a magical realm so i basically copied it word for word into my book so having done so I, even though in the back of my book i list just about everything i could possibly remember uh where i got the information i forget what they call that um uh you know a reference uh section the bibliography um, is that what it is yeah, yeah. It's, and then uh, there's I, the I, index too Right. In fact, I, I did both of those for, for the grimoire all by hand. Um, and so, you know, I, you're not the only person who has asked me, you know, what I consider uh, publishing it. And the, the fact of the matter is, I don't think I could. I think there's too many things in there that I've, I've ripped off, so to speak, what a, uh, you know, I'm just being truthful here, that I've, I've taken from other books to, to, to create a book for myself. Yeah, I may have changed some of the words here and there for certain things, but there were certain articles and paragraphs that had to be written word for word, whether they were written 
a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago or 10 years ago. I don't know. Uh, all I know is that they, they resonated with me. Um, I shouldn't say that I don't know. There were some things that I do know came from the old grimoires. Some things came from newer books that were published within the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, you take, I, I took all the good stuff that I, I enjoyed and that I felt made sense to my beliefs. And then I incorporated them into my book. So to answer your question, I don't think it would be possible for me to publish a book that has so much uh, stolen information. It's not really stolen because I didn't, I didn't publish it. I just used that info to put it in my book. Right. And that's actually pretty traditional, Mike, too, for people's personal uh, black books or grimoires, however you want to look at it, is to to take those old spells and incantations and they do need to kind of follow the format. And so to have that stuff in your working grimoire, I got I personally got excited just because of your artwork in it. And so I can imagine there's some beautiful art in it. Thank you. Yes, I, I I have to say there are for each chapter that I be I started in in the book I would draw a picture, um, and I would really get really into it. Then gradually, as I would go into other subjects within that chapter, I would occasionally draw either uh, amulets or sigils or seals or just imagery, you know, whatever it could possibly be. Um, so yeah, I got. I really, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how much time I dedicated to that book. It took me exactly one year and I would work on it every single day. 365 days, I worked on it every single day from about 7.30 in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning until about, sometimes till 10, sometimes till one in the afternoon. It all depends on, it, depend, it would all depend on how much time I had at that moment. But uh, I really, I really put a lot into that book. And for me, I feel it's a, a work of art for me. You know, I feel like it's, I can add it to the, uh, the, the canvases I've painted or, yeah. or, or the pictures I've drawn, you know? Yeah. And your photography, all of it. It's, uh, it, it's definitely a magical thing in and of itself. The idea of devotion to something, to start something from nothing and then devote yourself to the process and then you have something there's a that is that is a magical act and uh, I also just wanted to get one more question in before we do get questions from others the when you're in the go when you're in the moment when you're in the flow that thing that happens that some people tag as the muse do you what's your experience with the muse or that energy that comes in and takes over and it feels like it's something deeper something outside of you and you're basically the vehicle for it so whether this is music writing art photography masturbating whatever <laughs> 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 you do not want to go there. <laughs> uh, maybe I do. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, all right, look. Uh, I can basically answer that on on three different levels. The first one being my art. When I when I, for example, when I create a completely original painting or a drawing, there are times when I I'll I'll just sit back and just look at it. And I can look at it for like 
anywhere from five minutes to an hour and a half. And I'll just stare at that image. And I begin to wonder where the next bit of creation is going to come from. Now, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly special about how I paint. Um, sometimes I'll sketch something like the one I'm working on right now. I'm actually where I, I just finished two pieces in the last four days. And I've been working on two canvases, one of which I started in February, uh, which is probably not going to be done until next year. And an, another smaller one that I'll probably finish off in maybe a month. So some of them, when they're really, the one, I'm, the, the big canvas I'm working on right now has got a lot of, of personal imagery in it. Uh, and it, you know, I, as I said, I sit there and I look at it and I try to figure out what I can incorporate into it that's going to make sense and, and match up with everything that's being as a collage on this, this canvas. Uh, the same with, with the drawing. Um, so that's the art. Uh, <clears throat> the music, sometimes the music will come, in fact, most of the music I write has always come from either a personal experience or an inner feeling, uh, sometimes incorporated with a former lover, uh, a former friend, a former situation or incident. Um, so there's that. And uh, then there's my writing. And my writing basically, that just sort of flows. I begin to write. And the, with the, you know, the great thing about having a computer that you can, you know, type in words and, and go back and fix them is just that. You can type something in and if something doesn't work, you go back and you, you work it out. In the olden days, you had a typewriter or you wrote things by hand. And then if you didn't like it, you rewrote it. So similar, but not quite as easy as a computer. So I guess my, my true muses, if, uh, if that's the right word, uh, all come from, uh, or, or I should say are, are specifically uh more or less dedicated to my art and my music thank you for that chair i have to run off screen for five seconds hold on one second five seconds All five right. seconds that's fine. All right. that's fine yeah if you have any questions amongst yourselves put, put them in chat in uppercase oswald i'm not asking those questions so why aren't you asking Oswald's questions? He wants Mike to explain his tattoos and necklaces in the show picture. I don't even think he's seen the show picture. So. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Wow. Well, well. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit Did, of an allergy attack here. I, I think so. Was there anything with the misfits, Jerry? I thought there was something earlier. I, you know, Grimsteak asked me to ask, but I forgot what the question was exactly. I think he wanted to know what your favorite song was that you performed with the misfits. Oh, well, I had two. Uh, one of them was a song called Die, Die, My Darling. <laughs> And the other one was a song which I actually ended up covering in uh, the band I did called Spy Society 99. And the name of that song was called Horror Business. All right. And uh, that's actually uh, a song about um, uh, the movie Psycho. Cool. 
So uh, someone in chat wanted me to tell you that you look like a combination of Matt Pike from High on Fire, Sleep, and Scott Wino Weinrich. I don't even know who those people are. <laughs> me neither. He said you would appreciate it, but I don't know. I don't know who they are, man. I don't know who they are. All right. So here's a question. So um, what are your feelings or experience with tarot and or astrology, especially in regards to spiritual development? And... Have you used them or other esoteric means such as I Ching? Great question. And you're going to, you're going to pee your pants when you hear the answer. Let's, let's hear it. <clears throat> um, okay. So after I wrote the grimoire, probably a year or two later, I wanted to begin studying the tarot cards. So I went out, I bought two books on the tarot cards and I brought three different decks of, of tarot. Um, the first two I had to buy <clears throat> because I couldn't find the one that I wanted. And the one that I wanted is the classic tarot card look, uh, which was created by someone whose name I can't remember right now. Um, so I have a very bad memory. Uh, in any event, I finally found it. And then I decided, all right, well, now I'm gonna study the tarot. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna write myself a book on how to practice the tarot. So I spent a few months on, on writing this book. It wasn't too hard, it wasn't you know, that deep, but I read the, the information from the directions and then I would write down in the book and I would even write, you know, like draw pictures of the cards and so on and so forth. And do you know, to this day, I still can't read a goddamn tarot card. <laughs> I, I promise i will though i i promise That's i will awesome. <laughs> i think the trick to reading tarot is to start with the rider weight deck and just look that's at what the... it was yes that's the deck i was waiting okay. for i'm sorry go ahead go ahead yeah no, no. and smith was the painter yeah just look at the picture and what does it mean to you that's about that's what i found to be the best way to interpret tarot to start for the beginning and you know what that's all fine and dandy but based on what i read there are certain specific meanings like for example if you see the image of of the, the man hanging upside down you know you immediately think well wow that's kind of grim you know what's that mean or there's a couple of them that just they're so simplistic like you know it's the seven swords or the seven cups uh, you know that could mean anything the seven cups or what am i doing i'm thirsty what does that mean so each one when i read about them uh each card has a specific meaning and that's the beauty of trying to or, or I should say that's the beauty of, of doing a reading in tarot is knowing what that card originally means and how to interpret it to the person you're doing the reading for. So here I am talking about tarot and I, I got to be honest, I, even though I wrote the book, about it, I never really, I never really went through with it. And, and that's something I, I kind of kicked myself for because I really wanted to learn and practice the tarot more. I've just, you know what, ever since I moved out to Pennsylvania, I've just been so preoccupied with my artwork and my photography that I just, I just haven't spent any time with the tarot. I will. You send me your address, I will send you a great tarot book. Awesome. Just email it to me. Thank so, you. And you should consider writing your own tarot deck, making your own tarot deck. 
Uh, I don't have time for that. I can't even I can't even read the other tarot deck. I can't make one right now. It's no better way to learn than to make your own. I, your I, artwork, I was, you you could do a fantastic one yeah. with your skill for sure. Thank you so much. And I was, Mike, it would probably sell really well. Yeah. Seriously. So it is yeah. something to consider. There's tons Thank of Kickstarter you. tarot decks. So you could, oh yeah, yeah. You could totally fund it. So I, I was I was I was privileged enough to be uh, made into a tarot card. <clears throat> there was a a, a a limited edition card set that was made by um, uh, a friend of mine, um, and he had me as the death card. And I was so I was so pleased when I saw the way the card looked. I was just like, "Wow, that's really that was awesome." I think you'd that's make amazing. a better devil card. Yeah, but Sorry? if you think about, Jer said you'd make a better devil card. But if you think about all the times you, you know, all the cancer and stuff, that is, I think yeah, it's true. very fitting. Yeah. So I got, a, I got another got question here? from Phil Blair, Philip Blair. What was your most beautiful paranormal experience? Probably the succubus. <laughs> Hey, probably the wait, dream wait. i had because she was so beautiful <laughs> and you know they they say that if you you dream about the succubus three nights in a row that she'll take your soul and i only really dreamt about her twice in the position of her being over me mm. and you know pushing down on my body not being <laughs> able to allow me to get up so that was probably the most sensual paranormal experience i had I, probably the only paranormal experience i ever had did you have a happy ending with that one yeah as far as i know <laughs> as far as i know it's not a three-time thing it's it's a continual energy drain so if you start nutting inside this succubus then she's vamping your energy right the life force yes right. um, exactly no no it was only twice and as i said it was only only the two times in which i felt like I couldn't get up. Um, yeah. So that was yeah, it's the dark cool. side of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got one more question uh, from Oswald again. Um, are you involved or advocate any groups like Golden Dawn, Theosophical Societies, Alamos Societies, etc.? Magic um, Orders. Yeah. I, again, I, I would love to be involved in one. Uh, I just haven't found one um you know i wanted to get involved into a serious satanic uh, uh cult um for lack of a better term cult um but i i've i've not found any that have uh, that i could be a part of um we got to hook you up with alan greenfield alan greenfield boy that name sounds familiar yeah but anywho well and you're right over there where uh, Peter and Peggy, you're over there right there where like the hub of the modern day Church of Satan is in Poughkeepsie. So I know that's a ways away from oh, where you no, are. No, 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 actually no. Poughkeepsie's only about, I'm going to say maybe an hour away. They, you know, Peter and Peggy live in Poughkeepsie and there are tons of COS people all around there. Really? Just, yeah, just letting you know, there, there are I know lots. Trust me, in your area, it would just Jerry, be a matter of you uh, reaching out to 
Peter and Peggy, I'm sure they would love to hear from you because as everyone knows, the Church of Satan's all about you ruling your own world. You've created a name for yourself and all that. So I, you're guaranteed to get an ear from them. Peter and Peggy, you say, huh? Yeah, and Peggy Nadramia and uh, there it's the high priest. When LaVey died, he passed it to Blanche and then Blanche Barton passed it to Peter and Peggy. It's not Peter you, Gilmore. No. It, okay. it, if you go to the COS website, you'll you'll get all you need to know on that. So Okay, because Peter Gilmore is the one who is in charge of uh, who is the high priest of the Church of Satan now. That's not the Peter you're talking about, right? Yes, Peter and Peggy. So the high priest and high priestess, they've been since the 90s, I think. Okay, because I actually did reach out to Peter Gilmore uh, after I read his book, and um, I kept begging him to let me do a photo shoot of him, and he kept turning me down. I did explain to him who I was. He does know who I am, mm -hmm. but uh, he uh, that never happened. And I was under the impression they were in New York City. No, no, they're in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. All right, mm -hmm. I'll try them again. I'll Is that the guy who was making all the videos on YouTube? Peter Gilmore? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I don't think they have much. They're kind of stay in the background. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if that's what you're interested in, I would reach out at least. And then there's a, a they have letters to the devil, which is uh, it used to be I don't know any longer, but was an online chat kind of thing where you could meet up with others in your area. And that like was that letters to the devil dot com? Yeah, LTTD, and I I can't imagine that it's gone, but. You never know. So that See, is. This is what I was telling you before, you guys, about me being a complete moron when it comes to the internet. I, just, I have no idea about any of this stuff. I'm just really old. Yeah. So that's that's that. If you're looking for the vein of like Levian people, that that that's definitely the way to go. Go right to the source. Well, and you I, are I, right there. I mean, there's so many. Seriously, Mike. Well, yeah, when I lived in Jersey, um, uh, before I moved out to PA, uh, the, the few people that I sort of encountered that were Satanists were not exactly that impressive. I was looking for an older crowd, people of my age or even older, who took this much more seriously. I didn't want to be around a bunch of younger people not that there's anything wrong with that don't take this the wrong way anybody uh but i didn't want to be around a, a younger crowd that was just a bunch of you know heavy metal guys looking to like sacrifice something that was not what i was looking for i was looking for some really educated people who were into discussion and you know philosophical discussion and, and experimentation that that's what i was looking for and i just could never find it yeah, there's a uh, there are Satanists out there that I love and hate, and for all reasons. <laughs> so, I, I'm I'm across the board as far as a, a a person in these realms. I'm like the outsider that flutters in and out, and uh, I have my own real practice, and that's kind of where I am. But I I have known some amazing Luciferians and some amazing COS 
uh, Satanists and uh, and people from other other groups. So just sniff around there, Mike. I bet there's I bet under one of those rocks. <laughs> I will. Thank you very much. I appreciate that information. All right. Well, did you have anything you wanted to plug or talk about before we end the show? Um. Well, uh, there are you can you can check out two of my websites uh, if you're interested in any of my like the music that I've done um, and the efforts I've released. You can go to mikehideous.com. That's m-y-k-e hideous.com. Mikehideous.com. Uh, if you're interested in any of my artwork uh, and or photography, you can go to Spy Man. Wait. Sorry, wrong one. Uh, you can go to horribleartwork.com. That's where my my art and my photography is. Uh, and if you'd like to contact me directly, you can go to uh, facebook.com slash hideousmike, M-Y-K-E. And also you are, you co-host with Michael Deacon. Oh, that's a true. Few yeah, times I a week. That. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I am a co-host with uh, Michael Deacon on the the Michael Deacon program, which is uh, uh, you can access from YouTube, and it's the Michael Deacon, D E C O N. Um, and uh, I, I've known Michael since about 2008 when he first started out, and he used to interview me on his show all the time. <clears throat> and over the over the time uh, over the years, him and I began to talk more on a, a personal level. And he asked me to be a co-host. And um, I have been co-hosting shows with him since, I think, the beginning of February. And uh, I really enjoy the show. Um, I must admit that uh, some of my, my viewpoints aren't exactly uh, liberal. So uh, if you're uh, politically correct and liberal, don't listen to the show because they'll probably hate me even more. But, but uh, anywho, yeah, it, it, we, we, it, we interview people, um, everything from conspiracy theorists to uh, former military uh, musicians. Um, uh, Everyone. People. There's a little bit yeah. of everything there. Pretty much everybody, yeah. Yeah. And I, so I, I definitely I appreciate it. your your voice on there. You give a different, you're, you know, you're way different than Michael. And you bring in different questions, and I think you're a, a wonderful addition to the show. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Thank you for being on our show. Yes, wow, thanks so I much. It. I didn't know what to expect, I have to be honest, but I got to say that now that I've spoken with both of you, I really, I really, like, thumbs up, man. I really enjoyed the show. Oh, thank uh, you. I, I, I was, seriously, no kidding when I tell you this. I thought to myself, if this doesn't go well for me, I'm done. I'm not doing any more interviews for anybody else, I swear. But I really had a good time. Thank you so much, people. I really, really had a great time. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And thanks, yes. everyone, for listening. And be sure to tune in next week. We've got an obelisk for the new moon. Or is it full moon? It's full moon next week. And that shows with David Whitehead. So that should be a really good show. Thank so. you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night, and we'll see you next week.